0: hi this is Nicole
1: uh, yeah miss miss Sanchez uh, I got your number from a friend of mine how are you doing today uh,
0: I'm I'm great to whom am I speaking
1: uh, we don't we don't need to get into names right now um, but I'm calling because I had a pretty bad week and oh. I was hoping to get your advice
0: I'm, I'm so sorry to hear it I, I'll do my best it would probably be more helpful if I knew who you were but
1: well, I'll put it to you like this I work at a Institution of higher learning, and we had a bad week. Ah, uh, I. See. So, so maybe you heard about this this Jeffrey Epstein.
0: I I have been following the story. Yes.
1: So we took some of his money.
0: Ah uh, yes. Uh, D-
1: do you do you think that was a bad idea?
0: You know, um, <clears throat> what shall I call you? Horace. A Horace. Uh, listen, Horace. I do. I do actually think it was a bad idea. Um, you know, it, it it was some egregious stuff that that Jeffrey Epstein was doing, and um, and and I think there was only there was only a lot of liability in taking on that money. That eventually,
1: well, and so, I, I, I hope that you could help us figure out how to talk about this because I think you need to see it from our perspective. Uh, because it's true that the man was a disgusting criminal that he was involved in some truly heinous acts yes. all right no one disputes that no one says that's not true but here's the thing about this guy all right mm-hmm. that nobody disagrees with
0: mm-hmm.
1: he was rich
0: yeah see <clears throat> so uh, that is true and I understand there are fundraising pressures in a university Have you ever uh, felt
1: like you've got enough money? I miss Sanchez.
0: <laughs> uh, Actually, I have, sir. It, it's a great feeling, um, and and I how think much is enough money. I well for a, a university of your caliber and size. I am not sure. Um, I I would take into account the student body that you have, um, but but more importantly, sir, is is the idea that there were real victims in this, and uh, from what I read, um, there were folks who enabled him to be near students. Um, he potentially brought victims into your, into a major university's research center.
1: Well, we don't know that. We don't know that that's true.
0: Okay. We don't know that that's true, but I think that I would love to hear a little bit more about how you all did a maybe risk assessment of what it would mean to take money from somebody like this. And
1: well, well, here was the risk assessment that we went through, which was that we didn't have all the money we wanted. And if we took some of his money, we would have more money. Yeah.
0: Yeah, see, this is where your organization's values probably would, would be helpful in guiding your decision. And,
1: well, um, well there, but there's no time machine. We, we can't go back in time and, and not take the money. We took the money and and we needed right, the money. Right. What do we do now?
0: Well, one of the things that's interesting to me is that from following your story, I've seen that some people who actually tried to, let's say, blow a whistle on what's going on, these folks are all gone from your from your institution
1: at this point. And well, they they were bad culture fits. Yeah. You know? I, I don't I don't think that they were. They, they were they weren't great team players. Uh, yeah.
0: Because okay, you know what, I I, I am not certain I'm going to be able to help you because it sounds to me like what you need is a pr firm and i'm not we're not i do not do pr in that way well, uh, well
1: what what about this what about this my colleague Christine came up with a jingle oh, and what uh, if what if we sing the jingle oh dear and and then that will that will get people uh, to move on no, do,
0: you, sir, do you think sir, that's a good no, a, a good plan no uh, no you know my my expert opinion is that Paying attention to the real victims in this scenario, those that were preyed upon, those that were assaulted, those that were uh, forced into lives of sex work that they did not elect into is probably a better place to put your resources, not a jingle. So you don't like the jingle? I'm going to have to say goodbye now, sir, because I don't think that I can actually help you. But good luck to you, uh, and God bless the victims of Jeffrey Epstein.
1: I don't think you're going to be a good fit.
0: Suddenly, like, over time, he, he became from, like, Jersey. <laughs> Horace was like a... Horace was like a Jersey mobster doing shit for Frank Sinatra in, like, 1959 or
1: something. <laughs> I, I, I blame Jesus and Mara.
0: <laughs> oh, what a... What a hell of a story, huh?
1: Yeah, that's something else.
0: I mean, you know, the, the really... Not the really sad. The saddest part for sure is all the victims who were uh, their stories are just you can't even stomach them. I've, I have I, I. had to stop reading certain parts of it because it was just way too, it was it was way too much for me. But uh, I believe the victims, obviously, secondarily to that is the sad fact that there was a lot of great research going on at the MIT Media Lab.
1: It, it was one of the few elite places that yeah. I genuinely had esteem and respect for. And you know me. like I don't give a fuck about most of this this stuff. I, I roll my eyes at a lot of that world. And Media Lab was the one place where I looked at people like, oh, you, y'all are doing some important stuff over there.
0: I mean, a good friend of mine and I got to tour it about, I think it was like six or seven years ago it was it was the stuff of dreams i mean when i was there i got to tour the prosthetics lab which is very famous oh yeah um and that was really just eye opening around how we look at disability and then there was a whole data visualization lab slash fashion design project that was going on where you could you know through the use of led lights and and you know tiny chips inside dresses you could we we saw this dress that that if it were if you were walking down the runway and it it could show you know the rise of sea levels and then the person wearing it could turn around and it would be like population you know where population is growing and shrinking and it was visualized on this actual fabric that that had turned into a dress and it was like really living in the future yeah and
1: and this was always my impression i i'd never gotten to Experience it firsthand, but my impression of the Media Lab was always that it was this kind of Willy Wonka magical Technology place and so the fact that it has This taint on it right now I'll I'll ask you now like, you know not doing a bit like what do you think someone actually should do for an organization like that?
0: Oh, I think at this point some ethical, you know, it, it needs a whole new body of oversight at this moment. That that I think um, there must be something in the governance or in the governance of the university that says, okay, the entire board is dismissed due to, um, you know, literally just due to. Um, being complicit in something that was illegal and and in a cover-up
1: because that that part for for the folks who haven't read up yet this is an interesting explicit cover-up where ronan Farrow ended up with emails where the management of the organization knew that it was a problem to associate with this guy and to accept his money and their response to that was to accept the money, but to try to cover it up, to try to keep it anonymous. Right,
0: right. right. And so, in in the emails that were released uh, through Whistleblower Aid, um, it was things like never spell out his name. He just would show up on calendars as J.E. or when Voldemort. Jo- right, right. Voldemort. And when when Ito was was going to meet with him, told instructed people to not put uh jeffrey epstein's name on the on his calendar whereas general you know uh, hygiene on his calendar was that it always stated who he was meeting with unless so it, it's like
1: it... it's not like they didn't know this would be a problem they and just it... thought they would get away with it indefinitely well,
0: that's right and then there are a bunch of people who now are on twitter saying i was i've been trying to raise a flag on this since prior to 2016 right Since yeah you,
1: you've had sarah slavitz talking yep. about this you have yep. had uh, yep. Jenny. Jenny Hardeen talking yep. about yep. like the fact that they raised this stuff and no one wanted to hear it.
0: Yep, that's right. And I got to be honest, having <laughs> having played that role in other institutions, um, it, it is it is one of the most isolating feelings I've ever had in a workplace. When you know something is going so morally, ethically or legally wrong and you're trying to make people see. And at first, I I think. I naively in that situation thought oh well when I just show people that they'll, they'll believe me and they'll everybody will have the same reaction I will which is oh my god this is terrible we
1: we need to do something we need to do
0: something yes thank you for bringing it to our attention and of course it, you know hindsight is 2020 20, but when you talk about the the millions or billions of dollars that are at stake and people's prestige and their brand i mean we know this this is this is This is the oldest, one of the oldest stories humans have told is that I will do anything to protect what is mine.
1: Well, and and what we saw in this case was a very dramatic example of it because this went as far as the New York Times. The New York Times had whistleblowers talking to them. They had a lot of the same information that Ronan Farrow and the New Yorker ended up with and instead they circled the wagons around this guy and uh oh how unfortunate a coincidence he happened to be on the new york times board as well right 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 and so when we're in these positions where we know about wrongdoing what are we supposed to do
0: you know (laughs) i have to be honest that that If I'm about to give contradictory information to anything that I've any any advice I have given to people in the past, it's simply because I've learned in the in the last few years. I've learned a lot about how this actually works. And um, I I would actually say, and and I realize this is also cost prohibitive for some people, but I would actually say to talk to a lawyer of your own first. Um, There are a lot of good employment attorneys out there who can who can, who will give you ad, advice for free, or not advice, but sort of listen to to you talk about your situation and will tell you whether or not they think they can help you. That's what a, that's what a, an ethical lawyer will do. Um, one of the things that's difficult, I think, is first of all that that can be really intimidating, especially if you're like an individual contributor in an organization and. You feel like who cares about me it's not my name on the door
1: talking to lawyers is like yeah it, it feels like an escalation even if it doesn't go beyond the conversation you've really opened the door
0: that's right you've opened the door but here's what you're opening the door to and I wanna I cannot and I cannot stress this enough the 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 thing you're opening a door to is protecting yourself and as much as I I want to tell you, yes, if you if you just take it to the right people, there's always a Ronan Farrow, there's all there's always a an ethical board member. that That's actually just not true. And there are probably considerations at work and, and things that are at risk that you don't know anything about. So you don't you don't you think you know the landscape of information, right? You think you know the landscape in which you're operating only to find out there's actually way more at stake because there are deals being done and and you know relationships that are that are deeper than than you are privy to understanding, and you will be the first sacrificial lamb. You'll just they will chew you up and spit you out so
1: fast. What is that quote? She poses a problem because she exposes a problem. I
0: mean, that... listen.
1: Do you, Do you have that tattoo yet? Before? I don't.
0: <laughs> I I'm a, I'm a, I that's that's a damn good quote. Yeah. Um, I, I I'm definitely gonna at least put it up in my office. And it's a good reminder that if you are one of those many, many people, I I in my heart believe that there are more people who want to do right than want to do wrong. That's that's part of my my just my ethos on work. My ethos. it's just
1: they don't have quite as much money as the ones.
0: That's right. And, and so and so they're more vulnerable. We are we are more vulnerable inside systems that have billions of dollars at stake. You are but a tiny obstacle that can be dealt with. And, and I feel for the, the, some of the initial folks who, who came out and tried to say something who are now, you know, struggling to, to find employment, who have been doxed, who were extremely vulnerable inside a system that stands to gain everything by, by expelling you from it. Yeah. (laughs) And so uh, when I say talk to a lawyer, it's not because I automatically think the answer is you're going to turn around and sue somebody. That's not the only reason to talk to a lawyer.
1: But you want to know what the risks are and you want to understand what your outs are in a situation.
0: Right. And you want a professional who knows more than you, who is in your corner and your corner alone, obligated by law to have your best interest at heart. Because we know that you know depending on the organization you're in that's not the case where, where are you going to take it hr
1: yeah you, you can't trust hr at the point where the organization is so corrupt that you're thinking about these kinds of problems like, like when right. you've entered media lab flavored problems
0: right when you're you're dealing in the billions of dollars you're dealing in presidents and heads of business and Disgusting islands where people are being held captive. Like this is beyond what most of us are ever going to have exposure to, in our lives. But we know that because you know, folks who listen to to us, who who understand the work that we do, are often working in organizations that that have that level of influence. It it must it must or feel at least a...
1: ambition to it, which gets sure. you into a lot of the same nasty behavior. Exactly.
0: You know the the only way I can I can I can think of it is you know you know that. that a very overwhelming image of being submerged in the ocean and and you're looking up and going, oh, this is so, this is all around me. This is so much bigger than me. I want to say that I have definitely worked with HR teams that would know what to do with this, but it has been rare. Yeah. Um and and I know that HR sometimes gets a bum rap. Like good HR people, my sister's one. My sister's a great HR person and I would take something to her if I worked with her.
1: But but in a lot of situations structurally HR even if they have the values you want isn't in a position to do the right thing or to compel anyone else to do the right thing. And, well,
0: they're incentivized to protect the company or the organization, the university, the church, the whatever. That that's right. the incentive to leave to make sure that the organization is not vulnerable to the claims of an employee. So when that's your front line, like the system working not in your favor, the system working against you is manifested in HR if HR decides to turn its back on you and that's really really scary. Right. And I and I don't want to discount that. For my HR friends who are listening, I know I know you are working hard to change the reputation of HR. Um, I know that, and and so I do not want to throw all of HR under a bus. I will, I will instead, as my my great friends, the the, the good friends who are doing the good work in HR, will also say, you can throw a lot of it
1: in front of the bus. <laughs> what about the money? the the hard The hard problem here is, so they've got this this Willy Wonka magic land at the media lab, mm-hmm. and I can imagine that a place that is doing what Media Lab is trying to do probably burns through a lot of money, A, because you need to spend money on things that might not actually do anything, right? Mm-hmm. But you don't know ahead of the time because that's mm-hmm. how research works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're spending money on advanced materials and advanced computer processes and God knows what kind of hardware and what mm-hmm. kind of physical plant you need to host all of this. Mm-hmm. And then you need to pay for all of the people who are at the cutting edge of this stuff and who in many cases, I'm certain venture funded startups would love to pay them like a healthy, uh, a a generous, unhealthy six figure income. And so you've got to be able to at least somewhat compete with that kind of lucre. Mm -hmm. What is an organization supposed to do in this day and age? when the money all around us is just so fucking dirty
0: isn't that the thing too because you look at the at the amazing technology and the amazing research and 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 truly genius work that was going on in some places uh in in the media lab and to be perfectly frank one of my favorite projects at the media lab wasn't even wasn't even that sexy that, that way it's the scratch lab
1: Oh, yeah. You know, Scratch is incredible. Scratch, it's, it's, it's one of the pivotal computer literacy technologies right. of the last generation. That's
0: right. Both my children learned how to, how started to learn how to code using Scratch.
1: Amazing. And,
0: and, it's, and it's, it, it has truly changed the lives of a lot of young people and children and got them into computer science. And so, you know, I don't want to make it sound like it's all James Bond kind of technology. Some of it is just good, impactful work, right, with an immediate an immediate return. Here's the messed up thing. When the bad guys hold all the money. <laughs> and that's well, the only and, way and we And that's can, what I'm getting at. Yeah, and that's the only way we can fund things that should exist for the benefit of humanity. Then what kinds of things are people do people think they are justified in doing to have access to that? Well, it's like the the Lawrence Lessig uh, non-apology. it's like oh, what Joey Ida already said it's like what Nicholas Negroponte said I would take the money again because they truly believe that that in a, in a utilitarian sense, the good they brought about the world was worth the ill. It's the only, it was worth the bad and it's the only way you can you can possibly sleep at night when you go, do you know how much good i've done in the world with my investment in this horrific you know in halliburton right. <laughs> you know and you go this is why everyone needs to read the book winner winner's take all
1: so anand was on this and i want to take a moment to talk about his role in it which was very yeah. interesting he was selected to be a juror for a disobedience award right which right. i love it, it's so poetic and so he, he's a juror on this thing, and apparently he writes to Ito. He talks about how, hey, uh, you guys should be more transparent. What's going on here? And let people know what happened so this doesn't look worse than it is. It's time to come clean. And he gets a response not from Ito, but from Reed Hoffman, he mm-hmm. of LinkedIn, who apparently was like, in charge of this award and it was basically like fuck off guy just just stop stop trying to make this a mess stop trying to be a problem and so anand then went and said he wasn't going to continue working with these people and he did this within hours of ronan farrow dropping his bombshells and so there are people who are starting to smell this stuff and want to get ahead of it. It's it's mm-hmm. not completely out of the question at this point to see cultural change in our recognition of this. And and Anand Giridharadas I think is my favorite example of somebody who keeps getting away with pissing off these people in power.
0: When you talk about giving zero fucks, yeah.
1: <laughs> Have you seen his hair? <laughs> he's got the coolest fucking hair
0: I've seen it in person I've I've been up close and personal
1: if you had hair that cool you too would give zero fucks you know what
0: I'm saying I guess I'll work on it but there is something and and I do love that he is a South Asian man so it's Mm -hmm. not as simple as saying well there's, there's white male privilege there and uh, and that's what we've usually seen, right? We've usually right. Ha- had called heroes, oh, the whistleblowers became these people. And like, you know, they're leveraging their privilege for good.
1: And, and Ethan Zuckerman got out in front of this like over a month ago. And- that's right,
0: Ronan Farrow, another white dude who has made it his mission to expose this kind of shit. And he's a damn good investigative journalist. And he also has people working with and for him. And he, and both of these guys, all of them, uh, Anand included, you know, there were other more vulnerable people who tried to go first.
1: Absolutely. And
0: so, you know, I want to I want to first recognize that 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 the women we just talked about who were whistleblowers and ones that we whose names we will never know who said who tried to stand up and say, hey, but because of all of the social ills that we've inherited and continue to perpetuate over the last 500 years, it takes a while to figure out who society is going to actually listen to on these things. So not new information. We've we've learned that. And, and what and what Anand has done is he's basically said, not only am I giving zero fucks by saying, I don't want to do I don't want to play with you guys. He's doing everything very publicly and using social media in an incredibly savvy way in real time to, to go,
1: expose the machinery that that is what he is getting right. So well, is that he wants you to understand the machinery, the systems, the the customs among these plutocrats and their their butlers, essentially. That's
0: right. That's that, that's exactly right. And so in so doing, they've got nothing on him. What are they going to hold over his head? He's got a best-selling book. People are paying attention to him. He has built a brand on calling out this particular type of hypocrisy. And, and when we talk about it, we we're, what he's talking about essentially is that white supremacy and the wealth that that white supremacy has has accrued. Gets to set the agenda for social change via philanthropy more than anything else, right? So this is a perfect example of that for for his for his his uh, thesis. He's not the first one to have it. He's not the only one to have that thesis or experience it. But he hit the right note at the right time, and he's a really smart guy.
1: So he's proven to be very savvy at making and sustaining the case,
0: right? And and he has basically said, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna be willing to bet that there are more people who agree with me. Than those I will piss off, and if I do it in public with enough eyes on me, I'm kind of immune to your bullshit. Which to me is, uh, I mean, it's goals, uh, and and you got to figure he has no NDAs hanging over his head. And as this this story, this MIT Media Lab story, starts to to have its tentacles over on this side of the co- of the country, and into Silicon Valley and into Seattle, we are. The number of NDAs that have held a lid on shit mm-hmm. <laughs> is, uh, you know, it's got to be in, in, in the who knows, at least hundreds of thousands. Right. Uh, and, and let's say of those, there are a few hundred that could really just, you know, bring a crushing blow to Silicon Valley. So so getting back to my original statement, call your lawyer first, find a lawyer, ask a friend, reach out to us. Anonymously, um, I'll I'll tweet the names of, of lawyers um, if you want to reach out anonymously, or if you just want to do it confidentially. Uh, I'll I'll let you know you know who who has got a good reputation for for taking on these kinds of things and other resources that you might need. But I hate to sound so um, I don't know it, it it's antithetical the, there's, to what there's
1: I, not a good answer for this and no. and it sucks but it is it is what it is like. Yeah the the gnarliness of this problem kind of defines our age and so there's only so much despite our experience with it that, that we can offer from there
0: yeah that's right that's right and so you know god bless the people inside companies and universities and nonprofits and government right now who are who are trying to figure out how to safely blow the whistle i mean i think that we're going to look back on this time and realize that the that the whistleblowers And those who refuse to be complicit. Hell, look at the whole hurricane debacle with the NOAA and, you know, trying to, who's going to cover the president's back by saying, yeah, Alabama for sure was going to hit Alabama, right? And there are some climate scientists and meteorologists who are coming out saying, I will never lie about the weather. I do not care. People's lives are in danger. I will never lie about the weather, and that's just like, you Th- know.
1: That is, that is the, the place that we find ourselves. The stakes right. have gotten so ridiculous that now even the powerful want to debate whether or not the wind is is blowing outside. Yep, yep, yep.
0: All
1: right, so I want to talk about Steven Universe.
0: When we talk about inclusive worlds, and when we talk about building inclusion with, with the demographic shift that is among us, you
1: want to talk about Steven Universe. I do. I I think that I know it makes sense. I missed the boat, um, (laughs) which is fantastic because now there's like seven seasons of it that I get to binge watch. I was so recently the movie dropped and on Twitter, Erica Baker explained that Steven Universe was like Firefly, only they kept making it and it was better. And at, and the moment you invoke Firefly with a piece of media, I, you at least have my attention. Um, as Nicole knows, I believe that Firefly is an infinitely better space western than Star Wars. Okay. Don't at me. Okay. All don't right. at me. I don't just, at me, I don't. Nicole. Okay. All yeah. right. I shan't. In any case, so Steven Universe is magical. Don't, don't spoiler me too much because I've only gotten like two-thirds of the way into the first season. But... Part of what is really striking to me about this, and what I think is, is so nourishing for a lot of adults who want to watch it as well, is that this is a story about love and kindness and duty at the same time. And I think that we're living in a world right now where duty and love and kindness have become so essential to making sense of what we do with ourselves. So in, in the case of Steven Universe, you've got these kind of immortal beings who are helping to raise this kid who is the offspring of one of their colleagues who is departed as part of the process of bringing this kid into the world. And part of what's magic to me about it is that the age of these people allows them to have so much perspective on how to kindly raise a kid
0: <laughs> that's really nice that's a uh, you know what knowing you yeah of course that that makes sense that that that's your take on it and that's why it was meaningful that that makes perfect sense i would add that of the in addition to the things you listed i would say family and what we think family is becomes central or is central to the story of steven universe that Family is a lot of things and uh, I will just say unequivocally Steven Universe changed the lives of my children for the better Why they saw it, it is it is queer AF. It is black and brown It is neurodivergent uh, It represents lots of different Not just looks and shapes and sizes of people but sort of the personality archetypes of the of the main characters are so well defined and and people will see themselves just very clearly in in garnet or or in amethyst or in pearl or in rose quartz or in steven or in you know what whatever um that that it almost becomes like a like a zodiac right and so when this show first came out my kids were telling me things like you're rose quartz with a little bit of garnet but sometimes <laughs> you can be like pearl right and i was like okay and so i started watching it and going Oh, I get it. I see what you're saying. And there were like five models of parent in this, right? Literally, there are five different models. There are four sort of feminine-ish characters and one masculine-ish character who are responsible for Steven in the world. And uh, different configurations are in love with each other at different times. And you know, Steven has to answer to all of these well-meaning adults who are trying to teach him all the lessons of being a good Good and decent, uh, you know, contributor to community, and and it and and it's just incredibly uh, silly at times, and, and and just delightful in in the characters,
1: whimsical, Whi-
0: whimsical, and the universe that it's built is is so you know I want to go to there
1: from a media literacy perspective. I think there's a lot to learn about its implementation as mm. well, mm. because I think that it's a very clever show mm-hmm. because what happens is you've got the main character the the titular character is this boy Stephen, mm. and he's a tween right mm-hmm. like he he at points doesn't seem more than like 10 to 12 years old and and so all right you've got the boys the boys have something to watch mm-hmm. <laughs> but then you tune in and if you're a boy there's steven to watch and if you don't relate to boys then there are the other characters and the other characters kick ass kick so much ass there there aren't any poorly wrought women in the show right and so regardless of your gender wherever you fall on that there's someone that you can watch that is the same there's someone you can watch who is very different and everyone is treated with so much respect. And you know, when I think about media right now, I'm always wondering like, what's going on with the boys? Cause we've got this epidemic right now where boys are finding themselves without the models they need to understand the world. And so this is how you end up with the men's rights stuff. This is how you end up with the red pill stuff, Oof. right? There's a lot of this really gross cultural movement right now about capturing up boys and feeding them poisonous stuff. And Mm. so when I look at Steven Universe, it seems like such a powerful inoculant against this sort of thing because of how much respect it shows for everybody, regardless of their identity, and how it teaches that respect to everyone else.
0: It... So... The non-binary genders when I talked about feminine-ish characters and masculine-ish characters, that's exactly right. That that in a world where where Gen Z is increasingly openly identifying as as somewhere on the spectrum and not not simply boy or girl or man queer or woman.
1: Queer AF.
0: Queer AF, the the some of the representation is subtle and some of the representation is just right in your face, good pride, like, wow, I aspire to be Garnet. Garnet is my aspiration. I want to be seen as Garnet not literally but
1: but you know. but Garnet is easily the coolest character.
0: Garnet is easily cl- the, 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 the biggest badass and occasionally she becomes you know a 20foot woman who can just stomp on things and you're just like yeah and she's black and she's uh, got a British accent she's um
1: Estelle wh-
0: Yeah voiced by Estelle she Garnet is voiced by Estelle. And she just sounds cool. She just moves like she's cool. She can stomp on stuff. She can she, gentleness is her is her challenge, right? And and her, uh, her
1: weapons are these enormous gauntlets that she uses to punch the fuck out so, of things, which is like really badass.
0: And it's so satisfying. And whenever whenever somebody on the show gets physically hurt, there's a there's a moment. Like there's a like there's real danger and real peril, but it's not like that cartoony. Um, At least I didn't experience it like that cartoony. Okay, I just punched you to the moon and then you came back for the next scene.
1: There are consequences. There are
0: consequences and no spoilers, but there is a turn in the story at some point that the fans really, really did not like because it was not values aligned. And God bless Rebecca Sugar, who's the creator of the show. She course corrected because she listens to engage and engages with her fans. Um, and it was kind of like, yeah, you're right. That was not, that was not values aligned. And, and I think we thought the story would be one thing, but viewers were not happy because the fundamental values of that are, that are exhibited in Steven universe are, are so clear.
1: I want to encourage you to go and watch this show. <laughs> I think that you will find it on a bunch of stuff. I think the most straightforward way to get a hold of it for me was Hulu. But there's a bunch of streaming services that have it in one way or another. It's very nourishing. It is easy to consume because the episodes are like 12 minutes long. And I think that there's a lot of like meaningful food for thought about surviving 2019. Mm-hmm that this show really hit from the beginning. Now, speaking of difference, mm. let's talk about, so I saw this this fantastic tweet today. I shared it with you. You really liked it. Mm-hmm. It's from one of my favorite Twitter people. His name is Visakan Virasamy, and he tweets, I have an insane work ethic, but it's extremely irreverent, unruly, disobedient. It follows its own internal compass and refuses to be controlled by anyone, including slash especially me. So I read that and it really felt like someone was describing my own internal process and struggles. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that today because how we view ourselves through the prism of work ethic is very important to... Our ability to, you know, stay alive and pay for a roof over our heads and the food we need and take care of our kids and whatever our responsibilities are in the world. And your relationship to your work ethic can be complicated by a lot of stuff. And I think in my case, and uh, I don't want to speak for you, but my impression is also in yours, Nicole, each of our relationships to focus have. Complicated our sense of work ethic and our ability to deploy that work
0: ethic. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. Th- this tweet really hit home for me, especially as somebody who's only recently at forty-six, coming to understand and accept the fact that I have ADD and perhaps ADHD. It was not something that that when I was growing up there was a, a the idea of hyperactivity, right? right. <laughs> that was that was it. It was just the age of, of ADHD. And it's really it, two things really made me start to accept it and not sort of turn it in on itself um, via my work ethic. One is that I recently thought I was losing my hearing, and I went and saw. Oh, I remember this. Yeah. So in the last few years, losing my hearing, um, I was really struggling to talk on the phone, really struggling in meetings, and I went and saw an audiologist. She's awesome, Dr. Storm. That's her name. Her really That's her, an amazing really her name. name. She's got this shock of white hair. She's Doctor Storm. I was like, oh, she's gonna fix me right up. And so she did it. You know, a, a traditional hearing test on me, and she said, I hate to break it to you, you're totally fine. Your ears are totally fine. What you've got is a processing situation going on.
1: So you were dropping packets. You were receiving the data. (laughs)
0: Yes, computer scientist friend.
1: but, But you were dropping the packets later on and then not doing anything with them. That's right. Lost in the mail.
0: Lost in the mail. Because I'm trying to, as somebody with ADD, process everything that's going on in a room all at the same time. And it becomes, as I know it is for you, it becomes a su- uh, like a, a, not a superpower, but a, um, a real advantage sometimes because you can absorb a lot of information. And you can read primary, secondary, and tertiary sort of subtext uh, in a room about what's going on when you're picking up on people's micro-expressions and you know, tones you, of you voice. You throw and-
1: either of us into a classroom, and there is no classroom situation that we can't manage.
0: Because you're like, oh, okay, great. I see where that's brewing over there. Okay, great. So there's a real upside to it. What is happening to me now in my mid-40s is that my brain is not, this is how I understand it, my brain is starting to go, you know what, it's really tiring taking all of this in. So we're going to actually just turn it all down. (laughs) Let's Uh,
1: optimize. Yeah, let's
0: optimize for what we think the primary stimulus is here, whether they're right or wrong. And if you think about, you know, really using your phone all the time where there's just constant inundation of information directly into your eyeballs, directly into your brain from about a foot away.
1: Yeah, you, you've plugged yourself into yeah. like the Borg collective essentially at that point.
0: Right. So as Twitter, you know, as Twitter is updating, as as headlines are coming through, as emails are populating, my brain is trying to take it all. And it just can't. And what it shut down was hearing. It's it's shutting down, um. My processing of background noise, um, but it's also then shutting down processing of the the main event.
1: Right, because if you can't make sense of one versus the other, you can't make sense of the the whole picture. Sure.
0: So your CPU only has so you know can only run so hard, right? Yeah. Can only take so much, and so I'm sure I hope that there's somebody who understands this way better than I do, listening, and you can you can you can tell us what's up, but as I started to realize the, the physical effects that I was perceiving, that I was experiencing, uh, and, and my doctor saying to me, well, it's probably your, just your ADD that, that's changing as you get older. I said, my what?
1: <laughs> that was so funny to me. So, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I've known Go, you, you, can, you can tell the story. You can tell the story. I've known you for years now. We're, we've been working together since like 2013,
0: I think. I think so, at least then, maybe a little yeah. before then
1: and and you to me it was always very clear to me like oh yeah Nicole's got like uh, a focus situation going on and you were so surprised by this
0: (laughs) I said hey do you think I have ADD and And you said you said do you think you don't (laughs) and I was like wow and I don't want to make light of it because you know Folks have, have been in pain over this. One of my children has...
1: A hundred percent of the people talking in this situation have, <laughs> have an attention situation. Yes.
0: Right, exactly. And so I am I'm uh, watching this child in, in their teen years and recognizing, oh, yeah, I remember doing that, which is so interesting because you think you'd recognize all of the things about yourself in your child you know and they, they hit teen years and it's like what new am i going what new things am i going to see in myself um, and it turns out a bunch and i don't because re- i don't remember elementary school but i remember high school
1: and there's a lot of threads to manage in high school you've got all of this so homework many. you've got your social obligations so you've got many. extracurricular activities
0: right. the pressure on what's what you're supposed to do after and i'm watching you know my children uh, manage their way through this in some ways very painfully going oh, yeah, I remember that and then you know their doctor saying well add will do that and so here here's what we recommend and and i'm like huh go figure it's just you know it's a it's a product and part of being born in 1972 that when was i going to be diagnosed with this i was not in right
1: it, it wasn't well understood at that time.
0: no stage. and 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 i was just looking at another another twitter thread uh that was started by nearly farley art um that that lee honeywell just boosted about adhd and, and, and what it can do to those of us who then get, get called gifted or high performing. One of the things I clearly remember being a, being a teenager was being rewarded for being able to do many things at once, right? Mm. And, and being able to do many things at once well, which was really weird. And, and not, not to toot my own horn. I mean, this is 16-year-old me. What are the, the things that I could do? But it was about being an adrenaline junkie more than anything else for me personally, Right. And that we know that a lot of us with, with ADD, we really can't do much without adrenaline. And, oh, yeah. and okay. so, yeah, and so at 46. Deadlines, deadlines. are
1: crack because it's like, all right, yep. I can't get anything done yep. if I've got a week to do it. But if you tell me I got eight hours to get it done, let's go.
0: And and there's a huge upside to this. Like for me, I do a lot of public speaking and the best public speaking engagements I do it appears as though I don't do any prep. It appear, it always appears to organizers that I've done no prep
1: because it's so natural.
0: Well, it's it's um it, it's na- it's my natural way of doing it because I need to figure out at that moment, at the moment that I'm standing on a stage, what this audience needs to hear right then and there. And if you don't have prepped slides, you know, weeks ahead of time that have been vetted by a committee, they f- there are some some. Some events I don't, I don't do anymore because the They have
1: unrealistic expectations for how much you can do before you're in the room.
0: I have never done a presentation for which I have read a script and it has gone well. It's, it's not, it's not my style because I lean, I've learned to lean into this part, which is deadlines are, are, like you said, deadlines are everything and your adrenaline kicks in and then you do this, you know, I do a thing that, that, is appropriate for the moment. And that is how I've lived with ADD, right? That's, I mean, that's just, that's just how my brain works. That's not.
1: Well, and and here's a good tension that you're identifying because you have this majority of the population who really needs significant preparation in order to be effective in front of a group. And then you've got people in the minority who have a set of skills and, um design patterns inside of their brain that allows them to speak extemporaneously that allows them to improvise in the moment really well and how are you supposed to explain to organizers <laughs> that you're one and not the other right
0: uh, and and that and you know i have found that the the events where they go okay you do you you prep how you prep um i get invited back to those always <laughs> yeah and the ones where I've just sort of tried to bend myself to their slide demanding will, I, I, I you know, it's about 50 50 at this point. And, and I think it's just, I love when I come across an event organizer who's like, oh, yeah, I totally know your type. Right. Or they're like, I've done enough events that I totally get how you're going to be okay.
1: Let me just leave you be. Yeah, let me thing. let me
0: just leave, let me just leave you be. We brought you here for a reason. We heard good things. You know, we we've read your stuff that you've written. Okay, let's go. And so I think it 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 also makes it hard to you know I think be managed by me sometimes as much as I love consistent management. My you know consistent unbiased.
1: I have never had to do as much managing up as I have. <laughs> But it worked, didn't it? It works well, and that's the thing like that's why we keep doing it because you take it really well, like you're totally like you're cool with it, and we there there's a good dialogue, and it's fine and and ultimately i I think that that is much healthier at the end of the day than the typical case where it's like you've got somebody who's very rigid and who is not going to even take the feedback, much less consider how to make the most of it, right,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. I suppose. Thank you. That, that's very kind. But you know, later on in Visicon Verosamy's thread, um, they say most people don't even know, uh, WTF attention really is, in my opinion, what I really have is obedience deficit disorder.
1: That's right. Because yeah. I, when this my is brain the best. locks this on, is the best.
0: I just, whew.
1: It's like a pit bull sinking teeth in, right? Like it, my brain will not let go until I have fully consumed what it has decided I must consume, whether oh. that is understanding how something technical works, whether that's understanding a piece of culture or media. I don't get a lot of choice in the matter. I just have to kind of ride the bull.
0: That's right. And then the next thing says, it says, uh, I refuse to pay attention to something that does not deserve my attention. All You know, it's capital, each word is capitalized, does not deserve my attention. I just feel that so deeply. And and it's, it's sort of the joke that we tell about, you know, why we call this podcast impossible to manage is that, yeah, if I don't like the thing that, that you're asking me to do, it's really hard for me to do. and I
1: plum won't do it.
0: But, and, that's... and I'll
1: feel bad the entire time. Like, I'll want to do it. <laughs> I'll want to show up for it. But it just, it won't fucking happen because my attention will go to things that I have identified to be more important.
0: Well, I've found little tips and tricks along the way that have, have, have made me able to do the things I don't want to do. I don't necessarily do them well. I'll say that. I don't care about them enough to do them well, <laughs> <laughs> but I will do them.
1: Self-awareness is, is like an essential component of this, yeah.
0: I don't know what to say. I'm just trying to be honest. And I think folks who have enjoyed being managed by me and have, have done well being managed by me figure out how to, how to leverage that. To their benefit, which it, to me it doesn't feel very hard because I'm I'm all te- if I'm managing you I'm team you like right. let, let's get it done like let, let's get very you very consistently let's get you your life's goals and your you know whatever whatever you're about I get super excited about that therefore I can I can I can get into managing and professional development and and making sure people are like fulfilled that actually gets me going right that's that's one of the things that it, that, that that gets my adrenaline up. Um, the thing that I love about this thread also is that it leads us to the concept that we've been talking about, um, which we'll link to in the, in the show notes, about, of carceral time. Yeah. And this idea that, uh, the way that I interpret it, um, is if I employ you, I am renting your brain space. Um, and the prevailing wisdom is I'm renting your brain space and your body- for certain hours of the week.
1: And you have like a real estate level claim yeah. over the mind and body of the person there.
0: That's right. Instead of going, you know what, I lay, I am going to compensate you for deadlines and deliverables on things that I know you can you can do that I can't do, or that this team can't do without you, and as such, I think what we're doing is realizing that when we're really talking about knowledge workers, that it, that it is about compensating you for your knowledge and your skill at getting this deliverable done. Outcomes. Outcomes. Entirely about outcomes. I don't want to get too dogmatic about this, because I know that there's that there's more nuance that, that I'm uncovering as, as we experiment with this over time. But the notion that, given all the technology we have, to communicate over the entire globe, right? But I say to you, I need you to sit in that chair. For, where I can watch you. Where I, I can want see you. to be you. able to right.
1: observe you all right. day. Right, right.
0: I need to observe you all day is a fundamental lack of creativity on the part of, of, of the manager. And an underestimation of that person's ability to do what you need them to do and a complete violation of that person's autonomy now right. it doesn't hold for people who use their bodies for work i i get that and so in in so where, where they have
1: to be in a particular place at a particular right. time to create right. the outcome which is geographically like scope sure
0: that's right and so when i think about the most vulnerable workers among us you know i think about people who are who are picking not food. knowledge workers not knowledge workers picking but but they know a tremendous amount right <laughs> about what they're doing but yeah it requires bodies it requires hands to to pick grapes in the
1: field because the grapes are here and not there
0: that's right and so i understand the limitations to this but given where where we are and given the fact that add and neurodiversity demands of all of us that we listen to our uh you know our our what's the what's the word I'm like our biorhythms is that what I'm talking about? Sure. Sure. So it's like, you know, you have you have talked to me often about when you do your best work. It's like late at night. That's right. And that's consistent among lots of software engineers that I've known is that, you know, when it is dark, when it is calm, when everybody else is asleep, when i can get some uninterrupted peace and quiet when my brain waves are really their most active is like you know 11 p.m. to 3 or 4 a.m. who am i to say change your brain so you can make it work like that starting at 9 a.m. and ending at 5 a.m.
1: where it's convenient <laughs> for you
0: that makes no sense it makes no sense at all and and i i i really think that the future of work is going to push on this question quite a bit um, because our increased neurodiversity is going to demand it and being able to support remote work or flexible work time is is an inclusion play it just is an inclusion play
1: and that the timing part of it i think is the biggest challenge here because what will happen is for me and we've talked about this a lot i don't have constant output right like this isn't a machine that you you push a button and a thing turns and stuff keeps coming out right i have i have phases and i have periods where i don't have the energy or really the the interest to focus and then i will kind of eat my fill of not doing the focused things. And then I have a significant appetite to buckle down and get things done. And, and so I will kind of oscillate back and forth between these phases. And those oscillations can really make a big difference mm-hmm. in the kind of quality of work that I can do. And more than that, how how happy I am to exist in my own skin at any given moment. Right. Right. But how do we build systems that can accommodate for something like that?
0: You know, one of the things we've been, we've been playing with, one of the ideas we've been playing with for a few years now is, is something we're calling sine wave management. Um, and if you think for, for, for math folks out there or, or, you know, medical field folks, a sine wave being like sinus rhythm, being a very um, predictable sort of infinite um w- wave up, down, up, down, up, down across a, a period a period of time that is a healthy crescendo and then recovery and crescendo and recovery and you know rest. So think about a very a very consistent S, sideways S going across a, an axis. And when I think about managing people and teams this way, it gives me as a manager a lot of flexibility for, the different biorhythms of the people on the team, which sounds pretty woo woo, I would imagine. But what is remarkable is in talking to people regularly about their rest period and creating an expectation that rest is part of keeping the work sustainable over a long period of time, it does a thing to people where they end up exceeding their expectations uh, because they know there's rest around the corner. So they'll do these, you know, so for you or I, for example, we we can build to a really high crescendo. We can use all that adrenaline, we can ship something, we can you know, we can finish a, a writing a piece, we can finish a training. And then instead of crashing, we can manage the the down period and know that when we're you know, once we're down in the in the the trough of our recovery period, we come back up to another crescendo. And this is how nature moves. This is how sound moves. This is how water moves. If you leave a creek alone, it ends up becoming essentially a, you know, like a a sine wave where it picks up steam and it, it then it sort of uh, takes its own momentum and turns it in another direction. And when you try to manage people to that kind of schedule, they respond really well knowing not only that they can exceed their own expectations then on the next crescendo but that there is a period of rest and recovery coming right after that what we end up doing to the people we employ especially in some of the some of the tech companies that are known as you know hard driving we are you know we are always on is it just burns people out so fast so they go you know they rise to this there's
1: never recovery there's and no so recovery. eventually the rubber band snaps
0: there's no recovery and when you think about trying to tame massive amounts of water right people who've built aqueducts dams and that sort of thing tell you like concrete can only hold water for so long eventually water's own momentum and and the force of it sloshing around in there breaks concrete and and Any kind of natural rhythm will also do that over time. So what we do is we we rise we raise people to this crescendo, and then we go, great, that's your level of performance. Do that all the time, right? And and like who can? I don't care how I don't care how you know much in the majority you are. At a point, you break.
1: You're not a machine.
0: You're not a machine. We're not machine, and you can't even. Here's the other thing about operations theory: you can't even run machines. At a, even at a maximum. even
1: machines regularly need things like cool down periods that's and right. maintenance and this kind of thing. That's, that's, absolutely, that's right. absolutely right. And
0: if you and if you run everything at 100%, 100% of the time, there is no slack for breakdown. There is no slack for recovery. There's no slack for for cool down. And if you remove one of those things because your system depends on 100% of the machines running 100% of the time, you break the whole system. The whole system breaks down not just the one machine but because it all becomes dependent on each other it breaks down and that's what we see happen on teams when somebody when somebody burns out
1: you know but but nicole i run a small startup and we're gonna (laughs) run out of money one of these days and and we need to get to the the next milestone before our our burn rate catches up (laughs) with us i mean what do you i mean yeah but 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 what about that?
0: Uh, well, I mean, look, it depends on what kind of company you're trying to build. I get that some people want to want to sprint towards an acquisition. Really, talk to people who've done that first, because the chances of you being able to do that are slim to none. All right, is statistically, statistically, none of us are in that in that uh, part of the of the data where we have a quick sprint and a and a quick acquisition. Okay. So then, what, are you trying to build a company for the long term in which case you've got to look both at growth and performance and sustainability you you will you will absolutely undermine your own growth if you turn over if you turn over your talent quickly you can only grow so fast if every six months you're losing people because they're burned out and you've got to bring a whole you know even a partial new crew on. Imagine how much longer you could go with the group of people you have now if you got really good at building rest and recovery
1: into your culture.
0: Who wouldn't want to join that startup? That would be amazing. And go, wow! I, I
1: hear there is a talent shortage, and so if you had a, <laughs> if mean, you had a, an edge on recruiting, I mean, maybe that would be a good thing.
0: You know, it, it's 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 extraordinary that 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 people go, well, we have to, we have to grind, rise and grind, rise and grind. I mean, what happens after you are, you ground something for a while?
1: Like it's dust.
0: It's it becomes dust. It literally whittles down to dust. Yes. So it's a terrible, ter- terrible word. Are, are you employing
1: coffee beans here? Like-
0: <laughs> yeah, seriously, the, th- the things that, that you can grind into something tastier. It works for food. It, it works for quarries. It doesn't work on humans. It You grind them down, you've already said. And so when somebody says, I am ground down, guess what? If rise and grind is your culture, you did that to that person. But if I said, OK, I get that people have all different kinds of lifestyles and I want a diverse uh, workforce with an inclusive culture where we're looking at systems of fairness and equity, rest and recovery seems like a really good differentiator. I mean, well, the, guess what, who would who wouldn't take a call where you go, look, we, we build in rest and recovery right off the bat. So if you don't like rest and recovery as part of your regular workflow, your cadence, well then we're not the company for you. <laughs> Could you imagine?
1: Well, some people want to crush and crush it and, and bro down. I think, but I I, 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 think. I agree.
0: I mean, I think in the other the other thing that we've inherited from that that crushing culture is. Um, It was built by people who didn't have a ton of outside uh, responsibilities, right? Right. And that had bodies that could handle ramen. And so you go, okay, well, who does that narrow the the talent pool down to? Okay, pretty young and and healthy, uh, unpartnered, unmarried, childless folks. But guess what the average age of a successful entrepreneur is in Silicon Valley right now?
1: What is the average age?
0: 45. So Incredible. there is something that is changing in the way that that startups get rewarded for, you know, performance. And sustainability and perspective is definitely built into that 45 speaking as a 46-year-old, that 45-year-old average age. And um and so I think if we can dispel with the myths of what rise and grind actually looks like and think more about smoothing out a cycle of work a flow of work and think about that nature's sine wave you're just going to get a lot a lot of good work um done with people who are generally healthy and happy
1: incredible incredible well i think that's our show that was a
0: good one if i do say so myself
1: we 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 have fun thank you for hanging out with us we love to talk to you about work and life and surviving both of those things we would love to have your questions please send us your questions at ask.impossibletomanage.com that is ask.impossibletomanage.com your questions help us make this show better and we would love to be able to give you great advice on how to do your thing at work Till next time great hanging out with you
0: great hanging out with you we